Thank you so much for that. Young people are dismissed at this time. Children can be uh, to their classes or to the uh, children's church in the back. While you turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. All right. So good to see each and every one of you out in church today. I have in my hand this year's symbol of fear. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't wear them. I'm not saying you should wear them all the time. I think that that is a, a great, it's a, I'm a big believer in personal freedom, amen. You may choose when you need to, and I appreciate those that do. Uh, even today, my uh, good friend Will's got one on because he had some sniffles this week, and so uh, that's a good thing, amen. We use our discretion for it. But I think if we have to pick a symbol in 2020 for fear, I, I believe it'd have to be this thing right here, this mask. What do we do in the face of fear? Five-year-old Johnny, he was in the kitchen as his mother was making supper. She asked him to go to the pantry and get a can of tomato soup, and he didn't like going in there because it was dark and it was spooky, and, and so uh, he said, I don't want to go in there. It's dark in there. And mom said, just It'll be all right. Go in and get me a can of soup. Jesus will be in there with you. And so he starts to take a couple of steps toward the pantry. Oak just cracks the door. He peeks in, and it's dark in there. And he starts to recoil. Then he has an idea. He sticks his arm in there and says, Jesus, if you're in there, could you hand me a can of tomato soup? <laughs> How do you handle the fear? We all have fear. Every one of us have fears in our life. Maybe you have cynogenesophobia. How many of you have cynogenesophobia? Uh, that means fear of your relatives. Now, how many of you have cynogenesophobia? Okay, now we have some more people that have cynogenesophobia. How about antidiphobia? That's the fear of being watched by a duck. I didn't know that was a thing, but evidently that's a fear. Hippopotomonstros esquipiadeliaphobia. Fear of long words. What kind of monster creates that word to describe the fear of long words? 36 letters. We all have fears. Any visitors from heaven here today that don't have fears? No, we all, we all have fears that we have to deal with. So how do we deal with them? How do God's people respond to fear? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 8, the Bible starts out here. and He stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? <clears throat> Am I not a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down for me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Jump down now, if you would, to pay, uh, verse number 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now down to verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came and near 
drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air to the beasts of the field. Father, I pray you'd help us today as we look at the subject of courage in the face of fear. Help us as we look at this passage now. Make it clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all the episodes in David's life, this is the most famous one. Certainly, it's the most dramatic. It's the one that is the most often told. In fact, if I, I was thinking about it this week, I believe this might be the fifth message I've taken from this episode in, this, in the Bible, different, different uh, approaches to it, but it's a very commonly spoken about story. It deals with the fundamental question, how do you deal with your fear? How do you have courage to face the giants in your life, just your life in general. To answer this question from this text here, this is how it's usually presented. Goliath represents your fears. They are intimidating. They are intense. They are invincible. They are in your face. David is the inspiring example to show you how to Handle those fears. You go right at them. You face your fears. You eliminate your fears. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. We've been taught how to deal with your fears from this story of David and Goliath. And you know the story. David is a lad of about 17 years old. He visits his brothers on the battlefield. And when he is there, he finds this blasphemous giant who's marching up and down, cursing God, cursing God's people. And he asks some questions hey, who's going to go take care of this uncircumcised Philistine? Who's going to take care of this person that's cursing God? And then he asked that famous question we know so well, is there not a cause? He went from uh, <coughs> saying somebody ought to do something to I will do something, and he volunteered. He says, uh, the Bible says he took five smooth stones out of the brook uh, before he went to meet Goliath. Why five? I don't know, but Goliath did have four brothers. Maybe this is going to be a family affair. At any rate, David's ready for him. So he fills his five-stone clip in his uh, sling, and he goes to meet Goliath. Uh, you know the story. Goliath yells at him, and he talks about how he's going to take Goliath on, and he starts to swing that sling in circles, and he lets go of the rock. The rock goes right into Goliath's forehead. Goliath topples to the ground and dies of COVID-19. It's true. I saw it on CNN. So, it's a triumph of faith over fear. Now, that's all true in its essence. But if we dig a little, which I want to do today, I want to look at how we face our fears and how not to face our fears. I want to look at the problems of counterfeit courage and then the path to true courage. The problems of counterfeit <coughs> courage. The story, we didn't read in its entirety, it's 52 verses long, so I'll set the scene for you. Israel and the Philistines are mortal enemies. They armies have come out. They have lined up on the opposite side of this valley, and there they are ready, ready to do battle and ready to uh, go at one another. Then one man comes from the Philistines. His name is Goliath. In verse number 8, he says, Choose you a man for you, uh, and let him come down to me. 
If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I uh, prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. In verse number 4, Goliath is called a champion. Now, originally, the, the original word for the word champion literally means a man between. Now, an important uh, de- definition, remember that, a man between. A champion was someone who would fought, fight on behalf of the army. And this idea makes a lot of sense. One man comes down from one army. The other man comes down from the other army. They, too, will fight a, a, a battle, and they're the champions of their respective armies. The idea is that victory or defeat of the champion is transferred to the entire army. So Goliath comes out, and he is now asking for someone else to come from the Israelite side. And by the way, in the day of hand-to-hand combat, uh, this is a great way to win a battle with only one person dying, wouldn't you say? Makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's, it's very efficient. It's very cost-effective. And it really makes a lot of sense if you've got someone who's unbeatable, who the Philistines had. So Goliath comes out, challenges the Israelites to come up with their own champion. For 40 days, he walks up and down this valley, and he's cursing God, cursing God's people, challenging them. (coughs) And uh, no one comes forward. In fact, in verse 11, the Bible says, When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why were they so afraid? Well, because of who this guy was. We're told in verse 4 that his height was six cubits and a span. Now, in common uh, conversion, cubits to feet, six cubits is nine feet. A span is the distance from your small finger, tip of your small finger to the tip of your thumb. That's a span, so add that uh, to the six cubits. And he was uh, in the neighborhood of nine and a half feet tall. Now, you you read... Ten different commentaries, you're going to get ten different heights. And so we can disagree on the exact height of Goliath, but I think we can all agree this was one big dude. He was a big guy. He was a great fighter. He was a great champion. And so he he was not just tall. He also had the most advanced military hardware. In that day, he would be be considered incredibly high-tech. He was basically wearing a 30-pound bucket on top of his head. Now, it was not just a bucket. It was a helmet, and I'm sure it was fancy done, but 30-pound helmet on his head. Now, add to that, he wore armor that weighed 130 pounds. It's like having a person strapped onto your chest. And then he had a target of brass between his shoulders. This would be the, the uh, basically the... Uh, Uh, until they got into a fight, this shield would rest behind him between his shoulders. Then you throw in 25 pounds in his brass shin guards. He carried a long spear, the shaft of the spear, the Bible said, was like a weaver's beam. That's a thick, huge, I don't know, 4 by 4 6 by 6 It is a big, big beam. And then at the end of that beam, he had a... Uh, tip that weighed 17 pounds, it weighed 30 pounds altogether. He also carried a magnificent sword. In fact, later in the Bible, in 1 Samuel 21, we find that David kept this sword, and the Bible says there is none like unto it. This is the most elite, the most, uh, the most advanced fighter that the Philistine army could produce. This guy was the Chuck Norris of his day, you understand. 
Seldom in the Hebrew do we have a detailed list of what a man was wearing. The purpose of this attention to this detail in this passage is obvious. Goliath was like a modern-day superhero. Now, we have heard that Goliath represents your fears. He represents your problems, your obstacles. David represents the inspiring example of how to handle those fears. But I want to show you today just a little bit of a different way of looking at it because in David and Goliath, we have alternate approaches to heroism. We have an alternate approach to how to deal with your fears, and we have an alternate approach to courage. We have, what really, each, each one, David and Goliath, is a model for us to go about uh, dealing with our fears and to have courage. Let's look at the Goliath model. How does he do it? We find the answer in verse 42. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. His response to David when he saw him is, I'm big, you're small. I'm a fighter, you're just the boy. I'm high tech. You couldn't even handle Saul's tech. He took it off. Didn't want to deal with it. And that's how he looked at his problem. He says, in, uh, come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the field. Here's how Goliath deals with his fears. He builds his self-esteem by focusing on his own assets, which were considerable. He uh, visualizes his success. He couldn't even imagine defeat. He banishes his fears. Now, not being able to visualize defeat, only visualizing success, his fears are gone. That's how he gets courage. That's how he deals with his fears. He builds up his own self-confidence until his fears just disappear, dissipate. That's Goliath's approach to courage. You say, well, that was Goliath. No, no, that's the way the world's always done it. The world says to deal with your fears by banishing them. You think you can do it. You can visualize success. You remove any possibility of failure. Tom Platts made this statement. If you fully believe you will be successful and can visualize yourself being successful, you will succeed. Now, are there any problems to that approach to courage? And success, I would say, yes, there absolutely are. When you say, I can't lose, I can do this, nothing bad will happen, you become out of touch with reality. Goliath did, didn't he? You become, uh, and by the way, Christians have this Goliath brand of courage as well. One of the ways that Christians think, I'm a good Christian, I obey the Bible, I go to church, I do what I'm supposed to do, God would not let anything really bad happen to me. Oh, dear friend, you know how many times I've counseled people that are shocked that God would let something bad happen to them? God never lets bad things happen to good people. Explain to me the life of John the Baptist. He did, not, he did exactly what God had made him to do. He came out of the desert preaching and rolling back his sleeves and attacking sin and giving the word of God to people. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 11 that among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said, greatest man's ever born of women is John the Baptist. What happened to him? Thrown in prison. Kept in prison. This man of the desert. Uh, and then on the whim of a young girl who danced for a bunch of perverts, his, his head was taken off for just a whim. 
John the Baptist was treated terrible. He was a man of God. Another example is Jesus, the perfect son of God, the perfect man. God has only one son without sin, but he has no son without suffering. So what's going on here? The reason Goliath lost this battle is because in self-confidence he banished his fears when he should have been afraid. David had a sling. Now, it was just a sling, but a sling is still a weapon. In fact, there are ancient, uh, there are ancient uh, Roman sources that say that in some ways slings were as dangerous as bows and arrows. It's not that Goliath wouldn't know he had a weapon. The point is that Goliath was so overconfident in himself, he did not even recognize the possibility of defeat. Let me tell you, to banish your fears is to be unwise. You are going to be out of touch of reality. You'll be unprepared for life. Understand, the Bible does not, or, or, as many places in the Bible as it says not to fear, there's just as many that tells us to fear. It isn't like we're supposed to go through life with no fear. We're supposed to go through life fearing the right thing. And so Goliath didn't. I read a story recently about Edith Course Evans. Edith Course Evans was one of only four first-class women passengers to die in the Titanic. In the early hours of April 15th, after all the main lifeboats were gone, uh, they were filling one last uh, collapsible here called Collapsible D. A second officer, Charles Lightoller, was gui guiding women and children to that boat Miss Evans was with a group of ladies, and she told a Caroline Brown, you go first, you have children at home. Edith had no children. Mrs. Brown stepped into the boat, and Edith, uh, Edith Evans perished. Now, what leads to that kind of heroism, that kind of courage? Is it self-confidence? I don't think so. What we need is not to banish our fears. We need to do right in spite of our fears. You do the right thing. For example, Esther. You know the story of Esther. She was terrified. There was a, a basically a death penalty placed on all her people, the Jewish people. And Mordecai, uh, her relative Mordecai says, you're going to have to go to the king, admit that you're a Jew, and try to save your people. Well, this could have been the end of her, and she was terrified. And then Mordecai gave her those words we know so well. Uh, Who knoweth whether or not Thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So finally Esther said, hey, pray for me. Let all the, your friends know to pray for me and fast for me. She said this, I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Where do you get that kind of courage? I'm going to do the right thing, and if I die, I die. I'm going to do it anyway. She did not banish her fears. We need that which enables us to do the right thing despite our fears. That's why what Goliath had was counterfeit courage. Because if you're going to do something and you're not afraid, it's not courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is acting right despite the fear. That's courage. Oh, let's look then at the way to true courage. So, what is true courage? Now, normally... Here's what we do. We put ourselves in these Bible stories, and you know you hear me all the time encouraging you to do that. Whenever I bring a message and we're talking about a parable or we're talking about a story, we want to insert ourselves 
into the story. I like to do that because I like to identify. By the way, people in the Bible were not superhumans. They were not super Christians. They had sin in their life. They had problems. They had fears. They had anxiety just like you and I do. And so I like to insert myself in these Bible stories and uh, to, to ju just see how I would react and to teach myself any lessons. And <clears throat> the way we usually look at it here is that Goliath, uh, he's the depiction and uh, the representation of all of our fears. And okay, so I will identify with David. I'll be David. David was a hero. He was the one who faced his fears. But since there's nobody here but us today, we're going to be a little more honest for the purpose of our discussion today. Here's why I want to put yourself and myself. We're today going to identify with the Israelites, the ones whose knees were knocking. Because all of us want, hey, I'd be like David. Well, maybe we would. Maybe we wouldn't. Maybe we'd be like the Israelites. Today we're going to identify with the Israelites. We're watching here, and David is the one who's going to go out and meet Goliath. We are the ones who are looking at this gigantic problem, scared out of our wits. By the way, that's probably a little more realistic. You're not David. You're not Goliath. You're the frightened people. I'm the frightened people. Stay with me on this. Here's the question. What did God give the frightened people? God did not give the frightened people. By the way, they're the fearful. So what does God give the fearful people? He did not give them an example. He gave them a champion. Let me explain here. David was not an example for the Israelites. He does not come out and say, I want you to do exactly what I do. All right, everybody take off your armor. <laughs> That's not what David said. He does not say, I'm going to rush Goliath and then you rush with me. He was not an example. He was a champion. He was a deliverer. You could say he was a savior. He was a weak savior. He was small. He was young. He had no armor on. He had no military training. We usually look at the story and say, well, he won in spite of all that. No, I think he won because of all of that. He, it was because he was so weak, so laughable, that Goliath went in with his shields down. David does not win in spite of his weakness. David wins through his weakness. I love that. In chapter 16, we see the story of David's anointing. God sends Samuel out to Jesse and, and says, you're going to uh, anoint one of his sons as king. And you know the story. Jesse brings all his sons and they parade before Samuel. And each one, Samuel says yes and God says no. Next son comes, Samuel says yes and God says no. <clears throat> He's a little confused because all the sons have passed and God said no to all of them. And yet he said one of his sons was going to... So he asked Jesse, is these all your sons? Oh, yeah, we still have one, the runt. He's out watching the sheep, but I didn't even invite him because he's definitely not king material. Can I tell you that God chooses different than we do? Amen? Because David was so disregarded, because he was so young, because he is so weak, because he has no training, he actually learns as a shepherd the things that he needs to be king. He learns how to use his sling. Uh, it is through his weakness that he saves his people, not in spite of it. He was a weak savior. He is a substitute. He's a champion. But more than that, he's a representative savior. Now, <coughs> to explain how we mean that, probably the best example we can use in our day today is an attorney. You get in trouble with the law, and they are going to press charges. What you do is you will choose 
especially if everything's at stake, you will choose the best advocate you can. You choose a defense attorney. If that advocate for you is good in court, presents the evidence right, uh, presents his argument well, he might win, and then that victory that he wins is your victory. On the other hand, if your advocate is stupid or careless or apathetic and makes terrible mistakes, then you lose, or he loses, and you lose, and you probably go to jail because your advocate lost. In other words, you are in your advocate. What, he, what happens to your advocate is imputed to you, legally imputed to you. David was fighting against a champion. He was a legal representative. If he won, his people won. If he lost, his people lost. Uh, in other words, he was not, don't miss this now, he was not just fighting for them, he was fighting as them, as their representative. Just to recap then, God gave frightened people not an example, but he gave them a savior. He doesn't deal with their fears through inspiration and emulation. I'm going to be like David. No, he doesn't do that. He deals with their fears through substitution and imputation. In Hebrews 11, we read that chapter and it talks about all kinds of Hebrews, uh, heroes of the faith. And it says to remember these heroes and where we can emulate them and people that were weak and yet God used them in a great way. And, and the chapter tells us to remember Noah, remember Abraham, remember Moses. Verse number 32, it says to remember David. And it's good to remember all these folks. But then it says in chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The original word for the word author, archagos, is what it is, and it means the champion. He is our Savior. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain, archagos, of their salvation perfect through suffering. David is pointing to the real champion. Jesus Christ saved us, not in spite of being weak. He saved us because he was weak. The Bible says in Philippians 2.8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He took the punishment that I deserve. He put that punishment on himself. And now I can trust in him. And now God can accept me because of what my Savior did for me on my behalf. That's imputation. Hallelujah. David saved his people at the risk of his life. Jesus saved his people at the cost of his life. David went to the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus went right on through death and overcame it, praise the Lord. Look at what he did at the cross. He, he, uh, and, and this is what we have to remember when Jesus got to the cross, if we go back to our fears. What are your greatest fears? They're, they're pretty... Different people have different fears. I mean, I didn't even know about the one that being looked at by a duck. I didn't know that was a fear, but uh, people have different fears. I have a fear of heights. Fear of real... I'm not going to tell you what my fears are. You might use them against me, so I'll just leave them at that. But we all have different fears. But ultimately, loss of love, loss of wealth, loss of life, loss of health. Those are probably universal fears with all of us. On the cross, Jesus took the culmination 
of all those fears which is to be alienated from God. Because, dear friend, the, <clears throat> the ultimate poverty, the ultimate loneliness, the ultimate death is to be lost and alienated from God forever. And on the cross, Jesus Christ, your champion, experienced that alienation. He, took, he faced your greatest fears, and he faced them head on. And that means that today, if we accept him as our Savior, we are finally safe. We don't have to have those fears anymore. Now, I'm, <clears throat> listen, yes, you'll lose money here. You'll lose love here. You may lose life here. But the only debt that can destroy you forever, which is the debt of sin, has been paid. Amen. The only disease that can destroy you forever, the disease of sin, has been healed. Amen. Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. By the way, that's not just a pipe dream. That's a reality. If you're a Christian today, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is always true for you. No matter how bad things are right now, no matter how unfortunate your circumstances, joy is on the way. Joy cometh in the morning. I think of what Jesus did. Uh, he, he shows us what true courage is in this way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became human. And by the way, because He became human... He was subject to our fears and our pain in the Garden of Eden. The Bible talks about how he's on his knees and he's sweating drops of blood uh, because he's so in agony. And he asked the Father, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. And why would he make that request? He knew how horrible it will be and the separation from God. But then we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, oh, listen, friend, don't miss this. That Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He endured the shame. He endured the pain. Why? Because of the joy. What joy? Having us with him one day. That's an incredible thing. When I think of the fact, when Jesus is in heaven, before he was, came to earth and became our substitute, when Jesus is in heaven, what's missing? Nothing's missing. He has everything. All the glories and the splendor. What's missing is us. The joy that is set before him is having us in heaven with him. Isn't that a blessing? And so here I believe he envisioned the joy of being with us forever. He envisioned that. And for the sake of that joy, he endured the shame. He dealt with his fears. And therein lies the answer to our fear. True courage when it comes to a Christian, isn't the absence of fear, it's the presence of joy. It's knowing, having the absolute assurance that joy is on the way. Joy is our ultimate end. Doesn't that help? Knowing what our future is? Like the word Billy Sunday years ago, hated alcohol. He hated alcohol. He used to preach against alcohol and Rip and Roar, and he used to go into saloons, jump on the pool tables, and preach against alcohol. And one time, a guy pulled a gun on him. And he put, pointed a gun in his face, told him he's about to kill him. And Billy Sunday said, you can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> That's our ultimate end, isn't it? That helps to eradicate our fears. If we understand the joy that is set before us. 
How do we know this? Because Jesus Christ, though I'm a coward, though I'm a sinner, though I'm unworthy, He is my champion. He is my substitute. He took everything I deserve so that I can be a son of God. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The ultimate loneliness, the ultimate death, it has already been taken away. Now I know that no matter how lonely I get here, no matter how poor I am here, no matter how sick I am here, even if I lose my very life here, joy is coming one day. That helps us deal with our fears. Joy is inevitable because Jesus Christ is our champion and we are in Him. Now, if you're here today or under the sound of my voice online or wherever the case might be and you do not, or you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not in Him, you, like Goliath, are foolish not to fear. And I say that with all kindness. That's counterfeit courage if you're not fearing. Because the Bible says in John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You will not solve the fears of your life on your own. The greatest way we as Christians, the greatest, that's why, folks, the best thing in the world is being a Christian. Hey, you say, preacher, what would you do today if you weren't saved? I think I'd go ahead and get saved. Amen? I think it's a great thing. I think I wouldn't leave this building without do, taking care of that. It's the greatest thing in the world. No, Lord Jesus Christ. When negative, bad, horrible things happen, I know what I'm looking forward to one day. And for the joy that is set before us, we can endure the pain. That's real, true courage. When you look at it, really, fear is selfishness. Courage is unselfishness. You won't solve the fears of life on your own. And the good news is today, friend, if you're here today or you're listening today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you've never put yourself in Him. He is not your substitute. That is not something you have to lay your head on the pillow tonight unsettled. You can settle that today. Amen. And I encourage you to do so. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed as our pianist comes. We want to have a opportunity for you to respond and before she plays I want to just ask a couple of questions no one's looking around won't embarrass you won't point you out but you're here today and you say preacher I <laughs> that sounds sounds great to be able to deal with those fears but I don't know if I'm in Christ I don't know for sure if something happened to me right now I don't know for sure if I'd be in heaven I hope so but I don't know so would you slip up your hand let me pray for you